0: Hello and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. Today, Kate Volzer, the co-founder and former CEO of student engagement technology company Wiser, now part of EAB, is joined on the podcast by her friend and colleague, Dr. Angela Clark Taylor, who is director of the Floristone Mather Center for Women at Case Western Reserve University. The two share actionable advice as well as lessons learned from their own career journeys, to empower other women looking to break through the glass ceiling in higher education. Thank you for listening and enjoy.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours with EAB. My name is Kate Volzer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Wiser, which is now a part of EAB. Today, we're here to talk about pushing through career obstacles in higher education with a focus on women. I'm so excited to be here today, joined with my friend and colleague, Dr. Angela Clark Taylor, who is better known by her students as Dr. ACT. She is the head of the Flora Stone Mather Center for Women at Case Western Reserve. And her and I are going to have a dialogue today about issues impacting women in higher education.
2: Dr. ACT, can you introduce yourself for the listeners? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, like you said, Kate, I'm the director of the Floristone Mather Center for Women at Case Western Reserve University. I'm just finishing up about my, my two years there, but I have uh, about 15 years plus work on women in higher education. And I was so excited to join the Floristone Mather Center, um, particularly because of its mission around being a community space and social innovator doing research informed action around women and gender equity in higher education. I really think what this really means for the Mather Center is more that we understand that systems like higher education were not set up for women to thrive. And, We realize that women don't have to face those obstacles alone, that we can remove barriers better together. And so part of that with my particular work as director is also running the WELL or the Women's Educational Learning Lab, where I do research, particularly focusing on women staff leadership in higher education. Um, Some of the largest groups of um, workers in higher education are women and particularly in under researched administrative fields like enrollment management admissions, uh, administrative work, tech, things outside of like that student affairs, traditional faculty things we think about higher education. And so um, that's a little bit about me, um, but how about, I love when we tell people how we met. Maybe you want to tell people how how we <laughs> oh, got Oh yeah, our together. meet, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, so boy, what year was it? Was it
1: 2019? Yeah, yeah pandemic. Okay, so um, I had... Let's see. We were coming off of, I think, a full year of doing these events, which we at, at Wiser branded higher, but the whole idea was to help women in higher education support each other and push through barriers and obstacles they were facing. And, um, you were one of our attendees and you approached me, boy, I think at the beginning of the day, but. Um, I think we hit it off pretty pretty fast, friends, because now every time I have my favorite coffee, I think of you and our time spent in the coffee shop pontificating <laughs> about solving the world's problems.
2: 100%, or as we're saying <laughs> nowadays, facts. Yeah, so I had just arrived, I feel like, on the Cleveland scene, and everyone was telling me I had to go to this conference called Higher for Ambitious Women in Higher Education, And I have to be honest, I was like put on by a corporation. It's like, okay, And so I sort of went very skeptical. And by the end of the first half of the day, you're right. I was like, hey, how do I host one of these immediately at Case Western Reserve? And so I feel like I've kind of become a zealot for a hire.
1: Well, you're I love it. You're a very lovable zealot. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm so happy that we're now, I, I would call you, you know, a thought partner on this and a, like a real, I mean, I, I love talking to you because you're always innovating and ready to roll up your sleeves and do things that actually help. And that was sort of the intention of hire. And yes, it. I mean, Wire or Wiser obviously is a corporation, but I mean, the event got started because our product, when we sell it, generally it's women that evaluate our software, but when it came time for final budget approval, it ended up uh, being a man that would have the final sign off, which is, you know, totally fine, right? Like I have wonderful male mentors in my life, but um, I think one of the things that I most appreciate about you is our conversations, well, you know, while my, my experience is sort of ad hoc things that I have in the field, I feel like I'm always learning uh, when you and I get together because, I mean, this is what you do right? And all of your research is so tied to this higher mission and, um, but also advancing women is so exciting. So, um,
2: well, thanks. I mean, that's so kind of you. I mean, I, I absolutely feel as if you are a thought partner as well. You know, I think, I think one of the things that you fail to mention often, right. That was definitely impetus for hire is that, not only are you a college graduate yourself, right? But you worked in in higher ed for a while and and your customers, right? Like mainly, if we think about the fact that more women, right, are running some of these offices in higher education that have these touch points with students, right? And their families and alumna, right? From enrollment all the way through, it just made sense to target them as a group to to develop. Um, And honestly, I feel like you gave women a ground up advantage to getting in on what Wiser was doing for higher education before folks even knew it. Right. And so, I don't know, I think that that's a really cool aspect of the conference, right. That women were getting developed, but they were also kind of learning what was going on, um, like newly from the sort of like tech side. I don't know if that makes
1: sense. Yeah. Maybe it was just really, I, I tend to forget I don't forget about the early part of my career, I guess, in in higher ed, but I think I was just so naive. Like my parents didn't go to college. I didn't know how to work in like a corporate space. Um, so I wasn't necessarily aware of maybe challenges I was facing in the workplace early on in my career. Um, but I know, I mean, you're you're the expert in a lot of areas on this. So could you kind of talk about the areas of your research? So we we met at higher, got to know each other over coffee. We both love coffee, but more mm-hmm. importantly, now this thing that started out as just kind of a, a gathering space is now translating into more research. And your research with the Florestone Mather Center um, is having real impacts on, yep. on our industry. So can you talk about what
2: you're um, focused on? Absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that's really great when I when I first think about one of the things that we study. And then I have studies about how universities and communities engage with each other, right? And so this idea of bringing women together across institutions and across silos and divisions of institutions, I think is really powerful for two particular reasons. One of the things that our research is finding is that women um, who are sort of um, siloed into these different like mini ecosystems on their campuses face some interesting dynamics, not only that are gendered um, by the structure of the institution, but the way that women themselves reproduce some of those inequities. And so one of the first examples um, is is bullying. Um, And, you know, I think sometimes we shy away from that word, uh, but bullying is different than harassment, right? It's intimately related to microaggressions, But what it's really about is sort of the ways that folks use information about each other and like gendered ways of knowing and operating to try and convince other women to sort of move towards their will um, by using maybe personal information, um, fears they might have, other social dynamics to do that. And that happens both ways. Honestly, there's a lot of upward bullying um, staff onto their supervisors who are women. Um, We say we want women to be leaders in higher education, um, but often when women rise up into leadership roles, uh, women that uh, work for them and with them are more critical of them. And so we were seeing some of these things in our research and our training programs and um, honestly found it very validating when recently a 2021 study um, came out from the Workplace Bullying Institute that really uh, gave a broader statistic about women in the workplace that was allowed us to situate higher ed in like this larger workplace context. And that was that even though, you know, men predominantly are still bullies um, in the workplace over women, you know, dominating the workplace still when women are the bullies, they pick other women to bully 65% of the time. And Right. And it just really, I think, signaled, I think, to us that some of this work around bringing women together and supporting each other is so important. Yeah. And the upward
1: bullying thing, I actually heard an example of this that just threw me, um, I think, earlier this week. But um, a new vice president, uh, I will leave out the the title area, um, was called a Barbie (laughs) by somebody that was more junior because she dressed up, I guess, when showing the meetings. But what was kind of the the positive of the story is, you know, she wasn't in the room when she was being called a Barbie and it was in in a derogatory way. Um, But her male colleague stopped and said, well, what did you mean by that? and ask the person to clarify, the other woman to clarify. And then um, kind of, I I think the situation was subdued from then on and it was a more positive outcome, but um, being an ally and defending people or stepping up and seeking clarification seems to be a good solution in that. But I just, I don't understand why, you know, somebody like, why? (laughs) Yeah. What is going on? (laughs) Like,
2: right, right. You know, I have worked across all institution types from community colleges to smaller arts colleges to, you know, large publics and and research ones institutions. And I will say that no institution is exempt. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And regardless of how good their culture may be, from what's going on in larger society, right? So immediately when you say what's going on, I think, you know, we think that women who suffer gender inequity are sometimes exempt from exhibiting those same behaviors to each other, right? But mm. we, we've been socialized to sort of interact interpersonally this way. Yeah. Um, and second, I also think, um, you know, there, uh, we create this idea of scarcity, that there's not enough room for women at all levels. Right. And so we think we're fighting for a couple spaces and then don't get me wrong. Supervisors can absolutely bully subordinates and it could be going on, you know, um, at the same time all around us. But I really do feel like it is a symptom of living in a a gender inequitable society Mm -hmm. um, and, and that scarcity. Right. And so, you know, we've been trying to figure out like what really sort of, helps folks move forward and it, it is building community you know it it, it mm-hmm. is social emotional intelligence um but it, it's also sort of identifying that some of the problems are structural and not individual right and don't have individual solutions only like mm-hmm. we can't just stop microaggressions um one person at a time learning how to be uh, more equitable, more socially, emotionally intelligent. We have to think of the structural level as well. Mm, mm-hmm. Well, but how much does
1: um, individual support matter? I mean, I'm thinking like there's this, surely <laughs> you've seen the movie Bridesmaids, right? There's this line <laughs> where Ellie, <laughs> Ellie Kemper, um, it cracks me up every time and she's like, you're more beautiful than Cinderella. You smell like pine needles and have a face like sunshine. It's like the funniest line ever, but really like what she's doing is her friend is really going to a negative place and, you know, <laughs> feeling really bad about her life situation. And so she takes that moment to build her friend up. Is that the kind of thing that, um, can be helpful, um, uh, when we've got these bullying situations or is it, is it, I mean like something I personally try and do in meetings is call on women to ask you know what their thoughts are or when somebody's not in the room being an advocate for another one of my colleagues that I think does strong work that might be able to step into something new is that the kind of stuff that that helps or like how do we how do we make some positive change here
2: one hundred percent. You know, I think that we already know from the research, right? That a lot of things that keeps people in roles and, and keeps them persistent at institutions is having a good supportive supervisor, good supportive colleagues, right? Their department, those little those micro systems, right? Those little uh, micro environments um, within institutions and our relationships. And so I would 100% agree. First of all, I love that you use bridesmaids. Um, <laughs> um, I, I use pop culture often. I actually, I wrote an article kind of comparing what's been going on in higher education to the movie 9 to 5, um, saying, you know, that oh, like, yeah. you know, that was the 80s and now we're in 2020 and we're still having some of these conversations about workplace yeah. and equity, well, right? Holly is always
1: continually saving us, so. Oh my God.
2: Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and I think it's so funny is each person I talk to, right, brings up. So I'm particularly a Dolly fan as well, but most yeah. women I talk to, they either bring up Lily Tomlin or Jane Fonda, like everybody has one woman in that movie they really like relate to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, And um sorry, my brain went off in a totally different direction of like, it's like not the most diverse cast at all. And obviously I hope we have a more diverse mm-hmm. group of folks working in higher education right now. But, but the point is that they work together, right? That though we might have a favorite in that movie, they work together. So I go, I absolutely, I go back to that bridesmaid example, to the nine to five example, right? That if we can begin to support other women and, and not take um, every particular slight, maybe as an end point and continue to build those relationships and, and foster those around us. My, one of my favorite quotes is by Toni Morrison. I can't remember if I've told you this before, Kate, but I don't think you have. I love this Toni Morrison quote. She always used to say to her students who are graduating, like, okay, I'm going to paraphrase this probably terribly, but now you're free, right? When you get these big, this big education, these degrees you work so hard for now you're free and it's your job to turn around and free someone else. If you have some type of power, it's your job to empower someone else. And so I like that. Yeah, that's how I try to, that's what I try to infuse into all of the ways we take our research and turn that into leadership development programs and experiences for women. And that's how I try to lead in my space as best I can.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that ties to our next challenge actually pretty nicely is You know, if you are like, if it is your chance to change the world, there is a level of needing to find your voice. Some of that is advocating for yourself to make sure that you are being recognized for your accomplishments, Uh, but also, you know, being vocal about what your maybe female colleagues have done and being vocal about recognizing their accomplishments so that they do get the same level of recognition as men in their field. 100%.
2: You know, I I think we can really be sort of pushed in higher education, any field to sort of have the the person at the top say like, this is my accomplishment, right? And I'm not saying we should minimize ourselves, but if we can lift up others around us and their accomplishments as well and encourage um, leaders in our institutions to be sponsors, right, for women, because like, I feel like more than a mentor right? Um, somebody who's willing to put your name out there in the room when mm. you're not there is really, really helpful. You know, I, I know we've been hearing that a lot, but I think there's some ways, okay, so for me, you know, this really ties into this, this structural piece that I, I bring up often, right? And I, I want to um, give example of that, that it's probably, I think it's potentially a little controversial right now, which is about imposter syndrome. I think one of the reasons it's important for us to think differently about imposter syndrome, um, or this idea, right, that um, women don't believe in themselves, that we think we're imposters, that we don't belong in higher education, that the only reason we've gotten ahead is because of luck or someone else helping us, that we ourselves are not really the ones who are are capable or ambitious enough um, to move forward to lead. Right. Well, part of that is it, no matter how much you believe in yourself, if you're still seeing messages around you, right. Around about structural inequities, about how there's not enough room for all women, about how women aren't as good, um, as men at being leaders, right. Or that they're always facing these work-life balance challenges. And then you come combine that with other identities, right? Whether you're a first-generation college student, right? Like you and me, whether you're, you're queer or have a disability or whether you're a Black, Indigenous woman of color, right? You combine those, those intersecting identities. And then is it really imposter syndrome or is it that the structures that we're in were not necessarily originally set up for us. And we're working on a daily basis to not only thrive and lead in them, but to make space and change them. And so I think if we just think about imposter syndrome, we're doing higher education a a disservice. You know, there's only so much we can get professional development before the system that is developing us also needs to shift a little bit.
1: Wow. There's so much to unpack there. I, this is when I'm in over my head, sort of out of my league. And I'm continually impressed with all of the research that you're doing to study this. And I just wanna learn so much more. One of the things that I think, well, definitely this came up a lot across the um, higher series is this strong desire to find mentors. But something that I think a lot of people don't realize is the the importance of sponsors, having really great sponsors. So mentorship and sponsorship are totally two different things, and I think both of them are super important to the advancement of women. And, um, and this is this shows up in your research too, right, Doctor Act? One
2: hundred percent. So one hundred percent. Yeah,
1: men- mentorship is uh, when you are. Generally, either formal or informal, but somebody that you have a comfortable relationship with, where you can be completely vulnerable about challenges that you're facing on the job, maybe in your personal life. Um, but generally, your mentor is not somebody that's your boss or you know somebody that is going to be responsible for promoting you. Now, sponsorship on the other side is uh, well, a sponsor is somebody that is advocating for you when you're not in the room. So it's like, well, hey, you know, Kate. Runs a really well, ran a really great startup company. Got bought by EAB. Maybe let's hey. say, you know putting her in charge of this, that, and the other because of of that experience. And Kate is not in the room in that conversation.
2: It's somebody that knows about my work. Absolutely, yes. And I really I think that that is something that really helps to take um, women to the next level, right? And I. Also think that, you know, it's interesting how you you say, oh, well, you know, it can feel um, over the head of an individual, right, to be able to do this or overwhelming, or how can we do all of this, right? And it, what I think is really funny is I always think back to how higher ends, right? So like I mentioned before, right, like I mm-hmm. am, you know, I want to return to that. So like why why did I love going to that conference so much, right? So I I got there in the morning. And there was an opportunity to network with other women, right? We were set up in a way where we were supposed to be sharing what we loved and and why we were there and taking a day away from work to develop ourselves, right? And there was immediately time to reflect on all of the skills we had, all of the work we'd done, um, right? To really um, go through this activity that helped us understand how much we brought to the table, right? Um, And then we were able to hear from other women who were moving up in their career and doing inspirational things to get us inspired, Mm -hmm. right? And then we didn't try to do, or you didn't try to do what what most one-day conferences say they do, which is you're going to leave a leader, right? We're going to get all the development in. No. Just like that. (laughs) Just like that, right? We (laughs) took time in the afternoon to network more and make a leadership plan of what we were going to do short-term, mid-term, long-term to develop more as leaders. And I was blown away because... At the very end of all of that, it turned back around on what we could do as we began to lead for others, right? Like, so it wasn't just about pushing forward, but also how you pulled other women up along the way, as you said, right? So you are saying you're not sure maybe what would be next, but I go back to your advice often from that conference, right? Which is about, you know, seeking leadership positions out early, talking about yourself, Finding mentors and sponsors, right? Trying a variety of different um, roles, but also the different things as we led that we could do for other women, right? Nominating them for leadership positions, um, suggesting that they be on teams, um, right? Trying to hire and showcase a broader range uh, of women, right? From all backgrounds, um, and then really, when we got into those higher leadership roles, what we could do for the institution, right? Could we be looking at the way we identify specific measures? Do we have the opportunity to select our partners and, pol- and do policy change, right? From, from HR to even for students for admission. Um, so, I mean, I'm just highlighting a couple of the things, but um, I really feel like I've also learned a lot. From you and the women you've gathered from all over the country through this higher conference about some of the ways we can move forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, the I think the biggest thing for me that came out of it, higher ed typically is so siloed in that there's like the staff side and then there's the academic side. And it was really cool to see folks in the provost office coming together with, you know, VPs and starting to understand, you know, why certain things happen the way they do on campus. And it felt just like a very healthy kind of conversation. And then naturally throughout the day, as you're having a chance to talk through all of your accomplishments and milestones, you're kind of subtly getting people that potentially could become sponsors for you on different campuses when when different roles are opening up. It doesn't have to be, a, you know, I work with a lot of people on finding mentors and um, how to build a network of sponsors. And it it can be organic and you can talk about your accomplishments. I mean, you don't want to be super, it, it is sort of a fine line, I guess. You don't want to be super braggy, but nobody's going to know how awesome you are unless you tell them. So toot your own horn a little bit. Uh, I think it's totally fine. And I love hearing about people crushing it. So I think- <laughs> like that happening live, seeing that in action at higher and hearing people's stories and them following up and um, seeing them grow in roles. I mean, I am connected, are you connected or are you friends with people on LinkedIn, whatever. I see people getting um, new titles moving up and I remember them talking about some of the challenges they were facing and people hyping them up all the bridesmaids airplanes scene, you know, you, you smell like rainbows <laughs> moment and now they're running stuff. So it, it feels like it's working. Not that hire is the reason, but hopefully it helps people to feel more empowered. Um, and and we are now uh, for folks that are listening, hopefully you're still listening, but Dr. ACT and I decided to join forces because we liked each other that much and, and loved our, our conversations together. So now her and her team, are paired with running the higher series and um, they're doing webinars and we are, we are continuing the movement. So would you like to share a little bit about your vision for how you see that coming together along with some of your research?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think that it is the small things we do today that add up right across the nation that do make change. And that's one of the things that really makes me optimistic, right? So I feel like I could say, we could keep talking about bullying, right? Is it an imposter syndrome or is it a structural issue? Um, but And how um, women's staff, right, are one of the most under-researched area in higher education. Or, right, we can talk about the small things that are going on all across the country. and And so that is one of the things I think when I think about the vision of hire, right, is how are we inspiring and then equipping other women um, through networking to be able to develop some of these tools for themselves. And so like, first, I think one of the things we're doing is we're been offering free webinars during the pandemic about... Uh, issues from what we've learned from the pandemic and how to move forward afterwards, like what we're taking with us, um, as well as looking at different structural areas in higher education for women like student affairs, uh, enrollment management, right, um, faculty. We've been looking at how um, to better um, and doing series of women talking about how on panels, um, how to better support women of color in the workplace, uh, particularly um, as supervisors of women of color. And so we've leveraged some of these things into uh, doing some virtual conferences um, for for some women's groups in higher education. And, and one group I'd love to give a shout out to is to Wayne State. Um, oh, so we yeah. recently, yeah, amazing I work we're off-time. doing. And that team's incredible. Right. It's so true. I mean, I feel like their story is one of the ones that gives me the most optimism, right? A group of women came to a higher conference, ended up getting their institution to get the WISER software and started a women's mentoring program called Wayne Women Lead. And then they brought us in to do another higher conference to introduce it to more women on their campus and grow their leadership group on campus. And they had the attendance of uh, senior women leaders across campus as their inspirational speakers. It was really, really great. And so in August, on August 25th, we're going to be hosting a full day um, higher virtual conference nationwide until we can finally be back together in person, where um, we're hoping the following year we'll be able to launch uh, a series of regional higher summits.
0: Oh,
1: I just love our conversations. If we were in person, I'd with your permission, give you a very big hug. Um, I'm so proud to know you as a friend and colleague and I love seeing everything that you're accomplishing and I'm enjoying viewing from the cheap seats now as um, you and uh, the rest of the, the team start to drive higher forward. So imagine me giving you a nice big hug right now, Dr. ACT.
2: Uh, i would I would absolutely take that. i'm I'm really excited. I mean, I can't say enough about how wonderful it's it's been to meet the women across the country that you brought together um, and then continue to add to that community, right? and be able to continually lift up and redevelop this curriculum that I do think is making change. I have to be honest, I definitely started today. It's a Thursday. It's cold again. I don't know how it got cold again. It's supposed to rain all weekend long. And I was kind of like, oh man, optimism. How do I must- <laughs> how do I muster that? But honestly, I'm feeling very caffeinated because I did drink our favorite Rising Star coffee while we were, were talking. And I'm feeling really optimistic for, um, you know, how our continued partnership between the research sort of practice component, right? Of delivering these higher summits is going to make change for women in higher education. Uh, Even if it's, even if it's for a few, I'll take that as a win, win, win. Yeah, same. Thanks everybody for joining and
1: listening during office hours with EAB. I'm Kate Volzer, CEO and co-founder of Wiser, which is now a part of EAB. And today I was joined by Dr. Angela Clark Taylor, who is the director of the Flora Stone Mather Center for Women. And we appreciate your listening. So come back again next time.
0: Thank you for listening. Please join us next week when our guests offer strategies that nearly all institutions will need to adopt as they look for more effective ways to manage student mental health. Until then, thank you for your time.